Hello and welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Emma. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today on the podcast, we have another Matt director guest named Matt Wyatt. He's directed a bunch of stuff. He just did a 30 for 30 episode. He has done commercials for Disney and ESPN and a bunch of different companies, worked with a bunch of celebrities, has his own company, owns his own stage. He's, uh, yeah, really cool. And we will just talk about directing and shot lists and casting and all the stuff that we care about. So it's going to be really fun. But before we start talking to Matt Wyatt, there's another Matt that I would like to know more about. And so can you please tell me, Matt, what you've been working on lately? Yeah, man. It's kind of been a while since we recorded. So in the meantime, I think I've talked about that script that I've been working on with my buddy Dave. And so we kind of finished a pass on it and put together a table read, which I thought could be pretty interesting to talk about. Oren, your wife, Kara, was one of the readers. She was great. Super fun. Of course. She's my wife. Yeah, she was great. She was super funny. And so the interesting thing about a table read and the kind of thing that I tried to design as like I wanted everyone to have kind of like a cold read more or less because one of the things I was curious about is what everyone's first take on a joke or a scene or scene description, any of that stuff, right? So that I know what the reader might think as well. And like whether something just jumps off the page and is totally apparent, like a joke that works on the first read is going to work on every other read, right? Sometimes a joke's going to fall flat because of phrasing or like, or just whatever, like maybe it's just not funny, right? So learning all of that stuff, kind of exposing all of those things was kind of the main thing. And then the other thing that was pretty interesting to me is that I was feeling pretty good about this draft. Like Dave and I like had put in a good amount of work. You know, it was a great script when he first wrote it. And I felt like we were really just kind of like punching things up and embellishing things and making it better, which, I, I, you know, I feel, still think is true. But so part of this was like, you know, it's the end of the year. We want to go ahead and like take it out to agencies in the new year. So this I wanted to know what the problems were, but didn't think that there were going to be huge problems. And the read didn't go great which was super interesting because I think we were both a little surprised by how much work there was still to be done. You know, we thought it was a little bit of a victory lap and that we'd have to like make some things a little funnier. And it was really fascinating. It was like a weird gut punch in a funny way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, so a few questions. Yeah. Just to rewind. So a table read is where you get your friends and whoever people, you know, actors to come in. Do they read the script before they come or do they read the script during the table read for the first time ever? So sometimes people will read the script beforehand. Sometimes they'll read it just on the day. I didn't really specify. I kind of just assumed like that most people would read it cold. You know, like, uh, you know, my wife does table reads every once in a while and she'll typically kind of like read the scenes that she is in, you know? Mm-hmm. And normally the way that we'll do it is we'll have one person reading stage direction and then you know, in this case, we had two leads and then three other actors to kind of like play all of the other characters, right? So like in the case of like anyone who wasn't playing a lead, you know, you'd be like the vice principal and the cop and, you know, like you'd have a bunch of different roles. So sometimes that makes sense to read, sometimes it doesn't, you know. In the case of a comedy, it's I think sometimes nice just to sell jokes a little bit better and know what sort of tone you're living in. But like I said, I kind of wanted people to go in relatively cold. So, so yeah, I think uh, I kind of cast it for the the people who were 
great actors, but also the smartest in terms of story and character. Because the gift that you get from actors specifically, because we had other, you know, we had a bunch of writers and stuff as well, and we're all there. And they could give you kind of writerly notes, but actor notes, when they've inhabited a, a character and they're thinking about it from a character's perspective, they're thinking through their own motivations in a way that's different than what a writer would think. So I think it was really interesting because the other thing that you're hoping for is notes that you couldn't think of yourself. And your wife actually brought up one where like we have a character who's like vegetarian who starts eating like these ribs from Applebee's and your wife who's vegetarian was like, mm-hmm. I thought she was pregnant because as a person who was a pregnant vegetarian once upon a time, I craved ribs. And that's something that I never would have thought of and ultimately like helped the script out pretty dramatically. So th- oh, those cool. are the sort of things that you're kind of looking for. Right. So we're diving back into another, another draft. It's yeah. Super fun. Yeah, table reads are interesting because they, you know, it, they're fun, but they're also like, you got to freaking read this two-hour document. <laughs> yeah. And a group yeah. of people. That job of reading stage description in particular is rough. Yeah, it's really and it's great thankless. if you have someone that's really good. Like, then we walk into interior bedroom yeah, yeah. where we see a dead person. Yeah, whatever. yeah. Like, Someone's yeah. selling it. This way, so yeah. Like, well, so... Yeah, it's crazy when you make something and you feel like it's pretty good and then you show it to people and then they are like, hmm, it's not that great. And it's just like so demoralizing. Yeah, it's it's rough, but you know, it's also the point of what a table read is. Yeah, and it's you necessary know? and it's everything will get better. And it's just the biggest thing is just in my experience is to know who is like getting what you're going for mm-hmm. and trusting them and basically just taking the notes that resonate with you and totally ignoring the notes that don't resonate with you. Yeah, it's a tricky science, but I'd rather know it before I send it to agents than after. That's yeah, for sure. for sure. Cool. Well, Oren, what have you been working on lately? I directed a couple of things. I directed a pilot presentation. There are some sketches for a pilot presentation that we'll see what happens with, but it was really fun. It's, you know, it's an interesting part of like how we move our career forward is just to kind of work with people that we like you know, for free or for very cheap, because, you know, if like you direct a part of a show that gets sold and then hopefully they'll bring you on as a director, there's no like contractual obligation, but it was one of those things. And it's like a really cool team of really funny people. So hopefully we'll see what happens with the show. But I heard today that the producers like the stuff I edited or I mean that I directed and who knows if they're telling the truth or not. <laughs> but hopefully hopefully something happens with it. it. It was fun. Yeah, and then I'm also editing something for Mark Zuckerberg, which is cool. And we'll see. I'm sure it will be out by the time this podcast reaches the air or the internet waves. But it's interesting always working on, like with tech people or with non-film mm-hmm. people on stuff because just their priorities are so different. You know, yeah. when it comes to the messages that videos are conveying and, you know, sometimes they care more about the substance than the pacing and the timing and right, the right. watchability. But yeah, it's been interesting working on that project. But anyway, let's hop into it with Matt Wyatt. Yeah. Today we have another SC grad by Hello. another, not me, I didn't go there, but another Matt. But you went there, Matt. Also I another Matt. Yeah, when yeah. were you there? I graduated in 05, but okay, yeah. basically I finished in 04, but my class was 05. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. so yeah, I took a lot of summer school, basically. 
Gotcha. Yeah, because I was 40, 04. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 I was 04. So I'm sure we. Yeah. It's weird, though. Like, you never. The people in the crossover between the classes is like. So small. Non existent. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Matt's like a really unique name. So I'm surprised. Right. Yeah. There's not here. that many of us. I mean, <laughs> I, I talk about like how many mats there are. Like there are so many mats. There's, there's so many mats, and you are a brown-haired, scruffy guy who right, went to USC. Vaguely tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there are so many mats that like I literally get. Like I think I've gotten emails mistakenly f- sent to me that were for you. Oh, and I've gotten like emails sent to me that were for Matt Pollock. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, hey, like please approve this wardrobe, and I'm like, <laughs> sure, like, wrong yeah. guy, dude. <laughs> I read on <laughs> Huffington Post this morning in the entertainment section that now, as of like this year, there's less than fifty percent of directors are named Matt. Oh, so cool. Well, that's we're progress. diversifying yeah. a little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. going good. For you there's guys. the DGA Matt Award. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Else. yeah, the best match this year. <laughs> yeah. So Matt, you're a director. You have your own company. Yes. You've directed a ton of stuff. I was checking out your website today. You've worked with a ton of celebrities. Yeah. It's weird. It's like I ended up having worked with like a bunch of famous people and quasi famous people. Like, and it's it's never I never like set out to be like famous people. It's just that things worked out that way. Like there was, you know, certain videos had people already attached and then Occasionally, it was things that I was producing that we went and got people for. But yeah, I've worked with like a smattering of weird celebrities, a like decent handful of Star Wars characters, and then like a few of my like childhood comedy heroes, which is cool. Like who? Like a Kevin Uh, Nealon? Yeah, like Kevin Nealon. Exactly. Like when I shot with Kevin Nealon, I was like, so I did the spot for ESPN where we had like eight very famous comedians. And we only had 20 minutes to shoot all of them together, which was insane. But I did take the time to go up to Kevin Nealon and say, listen, I know this is probably means nothing to you, but like the Adam Sandler farting therapist sketch, like the hypnotist one is the funniest thing I have ever heard and was like such a part of my like comedy upbringing. And he was like, Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that. Like, <laughs> cool, Adam, like he's like Sandler would like ring a bell whenever we wanted there to be a fart. Like, okay, yeah. But yeah, yeah. like super nice guy. Which I've I've also found. I don't know if you guys have found this to be true. Like, the more famous a, you are, the nicer you are. That absolutely. And then like with a couple of exceptions that I won't name, most people are like pretty nice. Like I've worked yeah. with like one, you know, you one or really... two or four monsters, but sure. like. For the most part, like people are like professional and like and absolutely like the more famous and talented people are like it's even easier because they're like very gracious and you're like do the crazy thing and they do the crazy thing perfectly and you're like great. Yeah, that only took five minutes like now we can go home. Yeah, I I, I mean, you know, experience really counts for a ton. Oh, right? my God. Yeah. So like the more like screen time they have, the better they are at everything. And also like the better their life is. So like right. if you're a monster who's super rich yeah. and like everyone appreciates and likes like, what's going on with what you? what is wrong with you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's an. And obviously, if you're working with them, it's different than if you see them on the street. And sure. you're like, hey, can I take a selfie right. with you? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had to be like approved by the celebrity as a director? Yes. A couple of times. And what do you, how do you get approved? Uh, sleep with them? <laughs> Ooh, that would have been weird. I don't really I hear know. Kevin is very gentle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a big, strong man. That's actually another weird side note is that a lot of like comedians are sneaky buff. Like Kevin Nealon, <laughs> Kevin Nealon, like jacked. Thomas yeah. Lennon, jacked. Like very Kevin Hart. Sure. Jacked. Yeah. Kevin Hart. Yeah. These guys are, I think it's because like now everybody's just crossfitting all the time. But yeah, like I, 
I have had to be a couple of times and I think like I don't even really know what goes in other than like, you know, just like for pitching jobs. It's like maybe I had to like write a little treatment about how I was going to approach things. But usually it's just like things get sent to people's managers and someone looks at something and like, you know, I guess like it's possible that I've lost out on jobs that people went with someone else on. I don't know. But like for the most part, it's usually like. The other thing I've found is like once it gets to that point, it would be like kind of a clusterfuck for everyone if I wasn't approved right. by the talent. So at that point, it's like a good producer and production company is like teeing you up for right. that, right? Like you're hoping that that's happening. I mean, I think it's probably pretty binary, right? Like right. if you've got celebrities on your list, on your reel, like you can just tell like, oh, okay, he's professional. Yeah. He's not going to fuck this up. Right. And like, he's not a weirdo. And that's right. really what those approvals I think are for mostly sure. about. Yeah. You know? Which is a weird catch 22 for directors too. Cause it's like, that is a thing that people ask to see sometimes. And it's like, that's a hard thing to make happen unless you just have had it happen. You yeah. know, I'm like, I mean, like, I do know people that have made shorts and gotten some pretty, you know, Right. If you have like a Vimeo staff pick and it's like an Ooh, A yeah. plus like yeah. Sundance short, yeah. that is as good or better right. than having a celebrity on your reel. Exactly. Well, I, I do think there is a difference between making a great short film and having the ability to, you know, be good with talent. That Those Absolutely. are two different skills. For, for sure. sure. And yeah. I think that's really the thing that they're most worried about. Right. It's like, like, you can be incredible, but we don't know how long this Vimeo staff pick took you to make. Right. Or like what the budget was, any of that no, stuff. No, you honestly think managers like have the foresight to think about that? I think they care more about whether or not you're going to be an asshole to their client than they do whether or not no it's going to be good. No one is going to be an asshole to their client. No, well, in not, maybe though, not I, an I, asshole, but like or like a difficult. Fuck I, don't, I don't know, or if a dummy or just weird. weird. I don't know if managers care about it as much as like producers and and studios and stuff, where it's like, yeah, there is. There is sort of a bell curve, I guess, of like, there are certainly a few people that are insanely talented that just cannot work within the structure of what it means to make most commercial yeah. things, which is like, you know, then you can go make your own thing and like, and that's amazing. And, and like, there are a few people like that. But then I feel like at some level, if you're doing things that people are paying you for, like part of it is yeah you got to be able to like have a conversation and like maybe not compromise everything away but at least be open to discussions and like which is i think that's you know i would imagine i'd be curious to hear what you guys think but it's like a lot of my job as a director is to like try and keep the ship moving in the right direction as much as possible while at the same time like fielding all of those you know tangents and right. requests that come in and like in a perfect world you can do that where like you've fielded that without actually changing the direction and people are like right. oh yeah and you're like yeah, we didn't really yeah. change anything but thanks like, for those great ideas that was guys. a good conversation <laughs> yeah. we had yeah. yeah yeah i think matt Enlow and i slightly disagree on this which is like i think matt is really pro making everyone happy and like listening and being open and and compromising to some degree, you know, uh -huh. always obviously with the with the selling out is what you're with saying. the best interest right. of the commercial at or whatever the video at heart. And you're I, just like screaming. At no, people. I do the exact same thing. But I think Matt is proud of it. And I'm like ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I'm like, I wish I was the guy that was saying, no, this is how it has to be. Right. And actually, it's going to be in my unpaid endorsement later on this website. But I heard this uh, 
interesting like video essay about some cinematographer, I think Harry Savini's and how he, you know, he loved to shoot on film and back before the days of Video Village and everyone yeah. like judging everything, you could make these, re- he was like famous for underexposing things. And it was like yeah. a creative decision, but nobody knew. No one knew, right. Like nowadays, people would be like, oh no, that's Dude, underexposed. Like and you'd be, like, under, yeah. you'd be like, no, but that's supposed to be, like, no, right. and, no, well, let's get the actors, let's get the producers. No, yeah. we don't think we should do that. Let's just do it yeah, the yeah. safe way. And I feel like that's so much of what I make is like, the committee comes in and like, I'm trying to do something kind of cool or interesting sure. or unique. And they are like, I don't know, offset, like, off, like framing him, like, like yeah. closed frame right, or something that right. that feels kind of weird. Let's just do it kind of the normal way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Kaplan. And then I'll be like, Kaplan, Kaplan, let's just, let's just, <laughs> uh, I've been right thrown into this. yeah, let's just do it the right, you know, let's just do it like the Come way on, everyone wants. You know, I told them that you're like a guy that like will make stuff that everyone likes. So let's just like do it. Right. It is a little bit like, like, okay, well that's kind of look exactly the same as every other video. No one's going to watch it, but right. I mean, and that's the thing is that like, you know, making, commercials movies films like whatever it is it is a little bit of like a club or a team sport and so there is always that right where it's like there's pressure from all over the place and there's like two kinds of pressure because there's like that kind of pressure where it's like let's just does it matter like he's not wearing the right socks like who's gonna see it there's that but then there's also the like a big part of being a director is like you just have to have an answer for things even things that you don't care about like that was a lesson that i learned I think like it it took me a little while to learn that where it was like even if you don't have an opinion on something like just have an opinion just on pick, something which yeah. is like right where it's like black cheese is there black cheese sure black cheese <laughs> yeah, or yeah. blue cheese you oh, know and it's cheese. like oh black cheese and yeah. then <laughs> and then you just go which is like because that's the other kind of pressure where it's like yeah there's all this committee stuff until no one really wants to make a decision or people right. which is and and that's the other thing about like I think in a perfect world like or maybe not a perfect world, like just what makes being a director like a somewhat more complicated job than I think a lot of people looking in realize is that like your job is to kind of be like involved in all of the intricacies of those things and know like how how black cheese will affect, you know, like the socks that are being worn in the next scene. And like, is the black cheese going to moray or right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like then the technical stuff is interesting too, because it's like, that's one of the questions I get asked a lot by like, I have a lot of like comedian friends that are like, you know, have written a bunch of sketches and want to get into directing and like that. And even like younger filmmakers, the question is always like, how much technical stuff do I need to know? And I always equate it to, it's like speaking a foreign language where, you need to know how to get around in Paris. You probably don't need to know like how to have a nuanced conversation about, you know, 18th century literature. But like, yeah, if you just like got dumped off in Paris and you didn't even know how to say like, you know, where is the restaurant, you'd probably be a little screwed. And I feel like filmmaking is similar where you don't need to know like intricate technical details, but the more you know, the easier it makes your job because it's like, oh, the thing is moraying. If you don't know what moraying means, then you either got to ask someone or hope that the thing is not moraying or you yeah. want the thing to moray. Or like just bluff. feel like oh, we yeah, should explain yeah. what moraying is right. real quick to our listeners <laughs> sure, yeah. that don't know, which is when you have stripes that are really close to each other on a shirt or on a item or anything, the pixels in the camera sensor might have trouble resolving them resolving as two the separate lines, lines. Right. yeah they, so and they, they might just start flickering as when the they make moves. sort of like kind of strange patterns and right. sort of band as well Do you guys watch slight tangent the, the show search party 
Oh, yeah. I have not yet. I heard it's great. So it's it's pretty, you know, it's it's interesting for sure. But like the main character, Alia Shakat, yeah, right. So uh-huh. she wears all of these like super funky jackets, and they, and they constantly moray all the time. <laughs> and my wife's like, "Shut up!" Right. I'm watching this show, yeah. and I'm like, "How did they let this happen?" But it's yes. it's because yeah. that's and that brings up like another like tangent, which is the thing of like, and this is a big like, be careful what you do in all walks of life, which is like. Be careful about taking the thing that you really like and then making it a career because then it will inherently like change and maybe like reduce some of the value to it. And Once like you that's see the thing the is matrix. A, yeah. And it's like, like so if you're gonna become a filmmaker, then maybe like now you can't watch a movie without seeing moraying yeah. jackets, you know, and it's like that that is a thing. Although I would say like really good, really good entertainment like transcends that for me. I usually spend like five minutes of a movie or a TV show, like seeing all of the technical stuff. And then if it's good enough, then I'm just in it. Yeah. If I'm bored, that's when I start wondering like, how how are they editing this? I do get, where's the sound guy standing? (laughs) Is he under the table? Oh, he's under the table. By the way, I think that we're seeing moraying now a lot because people are shooting 4k and it doesn't moray on 4k. And then when they down res to like 1080p, Uh, these things that were very far away pixel wise are now like on the border of each other. That's probably it. Um, Yeah. And so it's probably a bad down conversion or something. Bit rates, guys. Figure out your post workflows, people. Come on, guys. But I mean, I think like to your point, I think there's also the aspect of being able to speak that language so that you can't get bullshitted. Right. Like I think when you're young and getting started. Mm Like you don't know what to fight for or what not to. Yeah. So a producer or a yeah. bossy DP or an AD will kind of, you know, jargon their way through something. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're unhappy. Right. Right. And also, yeah, because like the other thing about the specificity of language, like technical language, yeah, is it helps you achieve. It helps you be more articulate and achieve exactly what you want to achieve. So if you can speak that shorthand, it's easier that way where you're like, you know, if you're able to talk to a DP and say like, you know, can we like, I want like yeah, this side of space to be, to be super, like, yeah, like, can we just like the have the whole thing blurry, you know, or like, but yeah, like the more you can speak those languages, especially, I mean, like obviously like camera department is very important. Like that's probably like the biggest one, but then there's probably other examples but that, too. But the acting department might oh, also be the biggest one. Like can yeah. you do that? Like they just seem too happy and like yeah. what, how right. can you describe something that's yes. joyful but not happy you know right yeah yeah it's like, like acting, a technical thing too uh, yeah actors actors is that's a whole i'd be curious like your guys's approach too because like actors and acting is a, like such a vast field of like some people want a lot of like very specific direction some people want nothing like some people are very self-conscious like it's a very and it's also it's always a little bit weird because it's also like a human being that you're just manipulating like a puppet, you yeah. know. So you're like, move the face part, move the face part more, <laughs> you know. Like it really depends so much on the type of thing yeah, you're making. Like totally. if you're Hitchcock and you can be like, just look to the left, look right. up, open your mouth, right. Done, as opposed to, I just did this comedy thing and it was like a lot of like kind of personal opinions written in this script that mm-hmm. these actors that didn't necessarily share these opinions had yeah. to sell as their own opinions. Right. It's kind of like a newsy type show. And one of the actors I felt like was saying these words, but I didn't believe him that mm-hmm. he really So thought, your direction was, I don't believe I you. I don't believe you. And you're <laughs> No, so my direction was like, 
like let's try it again but maybe like louder and like like can we just like go broad on this like fuck this i hate this thing and then the actor was like what do you mean by broader i mean and i was like you're just like louder and bigger yeah then he was like okay and then he did it again and it it seemed to me exactly the same as the previous thing right it is and and it ended up i what i realized way after what i should have done which is because it was kind of like a newsy opinion show i should have just had them come up with something else to talk about yeah an analogous opinion and yeah yeah, and the producers and the whole committee be like hey look this is something that it's clearly like the the passion is not coming out in the performance right let's like try to work with this take 10 minutes which is a long time right and you're running late but let's take 10 minutes let's find something that they're passionate about because it'll make this bit work right and, and right now it's like it's i just want to get to yeah. the next bit yeah yeah it's, it's but crazy. i never did that so it's great well yeah the, the like oh i should have oh, we're shooting at, at matt's space when we did oh that's right yeah siblingla.com it's crazy how I, I always hate doing it but it's like it sometimes works which is the like faster and bigger <laughs> direction I, I say which faster is like, most of oh, yeah. the time it's crazy it's crazy how that's it like, works yeah, like 50 it works a lot of the time where you're just like yep that's sorry but that's what it is like it's yeah it is it is that it's interesting too like the thing you're talking about about like especially in comedy it's like if the bit is not working like if the thing is not working like when do you adjust and either adjust or decide to like step away for a moment and be like okay we're definitely not getting this like what can we do because i feel like you know it's in like, drama it's like you can try to recreate the emotion but in comedy right, if, if the actor landing. doesn't get the joke Ugh, oof, yeah. and you're like, trying to explain it to them you're in yeah, yeah. which is i mean like it's the casting is casting where that's, that's what i was gonna say like casting is is everything which is the other cool thing about like as you progress in your career you work more and more with professional actors and comedians and so much of your work is just done for you yeah where you're just like hire a very funny improvisational comedian who has good acting chops yeah. and it's like well that was great i did a job just the other day where normally i'm working with people who are very funny mm-hmm. and so like i can throw out like a half-baked joke and then right, and they'll take it somewhere they, and yeah. they make it so much better and that's like a luxury i'd gotten accustomed to and then these are all non-improv actors right and it was also the day after the election. So, well, like, so everyone's super pumped so for Everybody's just like Hilarious. so sad on the verge of tears. <laughs> Jesus. And like I'm just like trying my best to like make a funny little <laughs> spot. <laughs> and every time I was throwing something out or like, you know, sometimes you just try to break the rhythm of things, yeah. right? Like, okay, this isn't working. So here's an alt just so right. that you yeah, feel better about crazy. yourself. Yeah. And uh it was it was rough, you guys. It yeah, was, it was a dire situation. Right, which is like so. Check out my reel. It's gonna be- <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's yeah. the thing is like when you're in those moments, and that and that also comes back to like it's a process by committee until it's not right. So it's like in those moments, there are times when it's like you're just being hung out to dry, which is like you know that's why I love I love working with like good producers, good writers, like. You know, my directing partner, Adam Curlin, and I, like, we collaborate, you know, and that's so helpful to have, like, another very smart person who can, like, also, because film is just, it's just problem solving, right? Like, everything is problem solving all day long. So, like, if you have other brains that can, like, think in different ways, then it's enormously helpful. So, you're not just, like, he's not saying the thing about the dog funny. 
Well, and I, you know, sometimes you can even just say like, okay, uh, let's divide and conquer, right? Yeah. Like if you've got another writer or in your case, right, a, yeah. a directing partner, you can be like, hey man, take 10 minutes to go rewrite this. Right, exactly. I'm yeah. going to keep shooting Absolutely. and like hopefully this will get better. Yeah. The, the thing about the committee though also is that like as a director, it's still just your ass. Like yes. no one else who weighed in exactly. and like, like bullied exactly, you into... Yeah you know making it like this kind of vanilla piece mm-hmm. none of them are going to be like oh that that was my suggestion sorry everyone <laughs> right. i ruined the spot right. like yeah. it's still you no and totally. whether you get hired again no, I, w- I will admit on that thing that i was just complaining about i looked over at the producer and i was like what do you think and he was like yeah i think that's good i was like okay let's move on yeah <laughs> well, even though we both knew it was like not great but we right also but you understand that like bigger a day has to be made yeah right yeah. like and i mean that's that's the other thing too that like and you know this is another thing that i don't know that you really think about when you're younger and thinking about becoming a filmmaker just because you don't really understand it is that like unless you are david fincher like you have to make your day you know, like, and maybe David Fincher sometimes has to. Too. I just use that he, example. He actually, I, he comes in under budget constantly. Does he? Why? Yeah. No yeah. way. A UPM that I work with sometimes talks about it all the time. Because what he will do is if anyone is just like not doing something on his set. Yeah. He'll walk over and he'll be like, hey, what's your job? And then they will not be asked back. Whoa. So he he is like. Just hemorrhaging the crew. Yeah. He's just like, if, if you were not working, if you do not have a job to yeah. do. I'm not going to waste my money on this and I'm not going to waste your time on it. Sure. Like he's a stone cold motherfucker. Like well, that like, dude. The the reason that I used him as an example is like I was watching the Zodiac director's commentary, like yeah. one of my favorite movies. And there's a scene, one of the like newspaper scenes. He's like, yeah, we shot this and I just didn't like it. So we shot it over. And that just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was Fight like, Club, like yeah. the bathtub scene world? that was like a t- in a totally different place. And he's like, yeah, that's We just did it over. So like, yeah, like, you know, if you're that, obviously you can make yeah. that happen. But yeah, for most of us, it's like, yeah, you have the one shot to do the thing. In, you know, in, in certain cases, like if I, I've had things too where it's like, you know, I used to direct a lot of spots for Disney. And so it would be like, we would have like literally one shot at something because it's like, well, this is when we could get the fireworks and Darth Vader to happen at the same time. So like (laughs) you got seven and a half minutes to do it. And then like you just prepare as much as you can and hope that like. I was curious about that. So you shot this whole thing for the Star Tours opening and you shot it all at Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Are any of the people in the shots actual park goers? Are they all extras? Yeah, if you're looking at like, extras that are featured in close-up then they're probably extras everybody else is just park guests and the video was shot like certain pieces were shot at like two in the morning on rides like we were in haunted mansion at like 3 30 in the morning right because you're like actually got off the ride and are in yeah the we're sets. inside of we're inside so of wild. haunted mansion and was then it really haunted yeah it's super haunted yeah, yeah. Cool. everything at disney is real <laughs> um and then certain things were shot like you have a window before the park opens where it's daylight, but there aren't People. guests in there. And that's so, like, when you can get married at Disneyland. That's exactly right. Yeah. I've seen some like Chinese people getting married. Yeah, they spent six figures on a 30 minute wedding. Yeah, if you spend a ton of money, yeah. like yeah. Mickey will be like, oh, you're married now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. One time when like a hundred years ago, I won these tickets to be the first part of the first group of people in the world to go on the Jurassic Park ride at Universal Studios. Whoa. And they let us go on like before the park opened Whoa. and then they opened the park. That ride is so good. 
actually yeah. I had a technical question about yes. the Disneyland video. Sure. There's this shot where Darth Vader and his cronies are watching fireworks and you obviously have are those real fireworks that we see in that shot yes they were there's a couple of other disney spots i did where we comped in fireworks but that shot was real that that shot was like they just gave us the like really prime spot prime spot like right in front of the castle and then the firework show is pretty long you know it's probably like a 25 minute firework show so we shot the fireworks as like an over with darth vader in the foreground and then we flipped around and shot the reflection and so that reflection helmet. on his helmet was real yeah, it wasn't real. lights yeah no that was real i yeah. was like if that's, that's lights sweet, it's really well done yeah no no that's, if that's just real like, that's you know, lazy filmmaking early <laughs> <laughs> or the right way to do it yeah i mean always yeah if you can just do it for but then there's plenty of other things where like i shot a, another crazy thing where we like we needed it's it's like Mickey and we're pulling back from the castle in Florida and then he does some like gestures with his hands and then all the lights come on on the castle. So the lights were a, a practical gag. Like we had the Disney lighting guys like, you know, I'm like yelling into a walkie talkie and then they're firing the lights. But then we comped the fireworks on top mm. of that because we couldn't like, you know, just put on a fireworks show at three in the morning. Oh, it's well, not all real. Sometimes it's fake kids. But were you comping in the fireworks? Was it a lockoff, or, or were, like were you getting? Oh, it was like, a, it was, it was like tracking back on a oh, jib. Gotcha. So it was a like, it was a not a, the gnarliest VFX shot, but like a little yeah. bit of you know, little yeah. tracking, heavy lifting there. Yeah. Just to rewind back a little bit yeah. from before, sometimes I feel like I wish I was in a directing duo because a duo can stand up against the committee mm-hmm. so much better. Like if you and your director yeah. partner, Adam, are like, we're going to do this. It's going to be so cool. We saw right. this like special effect. Right. And then on set, people are like, eh, we don't think this is going to work. <laughs> or, or if you have like, someone you, backing you up. Right. You can look to that person and if they're like, hey, man, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Then you, have, you feel better, right? Because Absolutely. not every battle is worth fighting. Absolutely. But you're always, I think this is what bothers you. Yeah, see, it's just rolling over. Yeah. Already. <laughs> not every battle is worth fighting but no. the, the ones that are worth fighting if you if you roll over on those that's yeah. when you're really sunk and like right. yeah and i just pick my battles a little bit more. yeah I, I think i do too and you hope that like you've fought for the right ones and like yeah there's you know there's always going to be the thing where you're like eh, we probably should have like done the extra whatever and i think there's like for me there's like three tiers of things right there's like the things that definitely don't matter where i'm like sure but no one's gonna see it sure. like, Blue cheese i don't care black cheese, whatever right. yeah exactly right. shoes is like the yeah. perfect yeah. example yeah. no one exactly. ever sees shoes no one no movies. one cares yeah exactly I, I will often actually like set up a couple of those absolutely things. yeah and like in the very beginning yeah like hey like what do you guys think blue shirt or purple shirt yeah you know yeah yeah and then there's the things that are like maybe not that important but like i kind of have an opinion so it's like maybe i'll fight for those like i had a dumb one on a recent shoot where like the cat mug that I wanted, the producer like swapped the cat mug out, and I came back to set, and I was like, "What the cat? I like yeah. the cat mug." Yeah, and then better, yeah. I kind of got overruled. I was like, "All right, fine." And then immediately on the first take, that cat mug broke. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ha, ha, ha. Put my cat mug back in, please. <laughs> and then there's like the things, and these things I usually have like a visceral reaction to, where if someone is like it should be this and i'm like no it can definitely not be that like those are the fights you have to have because and the other thing too about like keeping people happy is like that's what they're paying you for like they're paying you to have those fights and so it is it's like a weird 
a well, weird it's weird. dynamic. The production company is paying you to make the client happy. Sure. But the client is paying you to make something to that sell stands their out, widget. Right. To make something good. Yeah. And they don't know whether or not the they video don't is know. Be yeah, you can just end the set. sentence there. Like, yeah, they, they just don't, don't know. know. Yeah. yeah. But like like I literally like just the other day shot with something where like the client was weighing in a ton and then found out that was their first digital spot. Of course. Yeah. So you know, like I'm. But were they weighing you know, in on their product, or were they weighing in on like how you should shoot it? They a little bit of both, a yeah. little bit of both, and like schedule was such where I was like, sometimes I would just say no. Yeah. But I, I didn't realize till the end that I was like, oh, you you guys are very opinionated for people who literally have right. never given notes on an edit before. Absolutely, yeah. Which is you know, and that's another thing. Like a big part of like directing something is having producers and production companies that are going to help like tee everything up for you which is like on a shoot with clients like if the producers can keep those clients very happy and feel like they're being heard and like give them candied bacon and like take them out to dinner and all that stuff the more of that stuff that can happen the better it will be for you because a they're just literally distracted i mean i can't tell you how many times i've been on a shoot where there's like eight clients there, but they're all just like catching up on email. You know, yeah, they're just yeah. like, because it's like, oh, it's a business trip. Like I can, sure. no right. one's bothering me. How many times have you guys been in the edit and the client doesn't like something and you say, well, you were on set when we shot it and you yeah. didn't say anything. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it happens like every other all the time. Job, I feel right? like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, no, we didn't get that. Like you were literally there. Do you remember <laughs> yeah. us getting that? I even swung didn't. by and said like, hey, is it okay if we don't get this? Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and again, it's like right. It's it's very difficult in those moments. Like again, to the point about like everyone has monitors now. Like all people see is like one shot that's probably like flat. It's not color corrected yet, and it doesn't have any VFX in it. And it's not sound designed, and it's one shot that you know is gonna fit next to other shots. So maybe that shot's super important. Maybe it's not important at all. Like that's the only one that drives me crazy is when. I am forced to get stuff that I 100% know we're not going to use on a busy day. Like that or if like drives me crazy. One tiny part of this like three minute take is not right. And they make you do the whole takeover because right. that one part. And you're like, well, we're not going to use We're that. not. Yeah. yeah. We're not gonna like, we don't that. care. There, we saw a little bit of the microphone. I'm like yeah. speaking, seeing a little bit of the microphone, <laughs> insert sex joke. I was uh, going to say, yeah. No, I, it's so annoying when you're like trying, you're again running behind and you're yeah. trying to like watch this long take and study everything. And then the script supervisor like taps you and kind of like points at something on the yeah, screen yeah. and you have no idea what she's yeah. pointing at. And she's like kind of whispering something and you're like lost your connect and you're like, what do Should right. I stop the take? Yeah. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. And then it like turns out that they like said the instead of the or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I will do like the hand. Yeah. And like, it's <laughs> like def- you're about to back. I'm just like, like, ple- like, no, just like not right now. Yeah. And it definitely has hurt some people's feelings. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, like the waving them off thing. That's like yeah. script supervisor is an example of a position that like I would absolutely never want on set, but also is a very important position because, yeah, like you don't want to get to an edit and then figure out that the continuity was completely wrong or, you know, you. so it's it's tricky. Yeah, it's like I do want to know that stuff. I probably don't want to know that stuff like in the middle of a take. Yeah, right. I probably like tell also, me after and like don't tell me the stuff that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. On set, usually I'm not, we've talked about this a lot, I'm not crazy about the script supervisors. They kind of drive me nuts. Sure. But I am editing something right now that I did not shoot and I was not on set for. Mm. And I would have killed to have a script supervisor. I have no script notes. 
and they changed every other line. And sometimes they'll be like, put in that shot. And I'll be like, I don't see that shot. They're like, well, we think we got it. It's like, I have <laughs> no, no, nothing not. to yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, in the post end, if the editor has had nothing to do with the shoot, right. super, super useful. Well, yeah, and I feel like the more smart, talented people you have on set, the more eyes you have, like, you know, covering your ass, basically. And like, but sometimes things just, slip through like I, I shot something and we got all the way to the color session and we're like matching between two shots and the colorist stops it and he's like is he wearing a different jacket <laughs> oh, and we're yeah, like yeah. what yeah the big ones are and the then the we flip it back and forth and we're like holy shit that's a totally different jacket like what happened there and like I didn't see it the DP who's a really great DP didn't see it the costume designer didn't see it no one saw it. So then we had to like ISO and color correct the jacket to match Ooh. in the color session. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, occasionally that happens where you're just like, you hope that you've caught everything, but sometimes you just, you're just, you know, you're flying through and you miss stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then you can't unsee it. Then well, like- I love it when it happens in like big productions too. Like I was watching an episode of like the 24 when they did that like reboot special a couple years ago. And they're like Jack Bowers, like running through the jungle, and the camera whip pans. And I was like, "What?" And I paused it and stepped through it. And the camera has whip panned past a full B cam unit yeah, with yeah. like steady and like sound guy. And like I'm sure somebody saw it, but they were just like, "Well, yeah. this <laughs> is going in. This is due tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, that's really funny." I'm going to ask you a question that we haven't asked for a while. It's a question I kind of always wanted to ask every director, but we just get sidetracked. But it's a two-part question. Number one is how do you approach making a shot list? And number two, like related to that question, like how worried are you before you're shooting something that part of your plan is to get coverage so that you have a lot of options in Mm -hmm. the edit versus making strong artistic decisions? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe I'll answer the second part first which is yeah like you i feel like i'm always trying to make strong artistic suggestions and it's yeah on especially on like commercial jobs it's you you know that like you're probably gonna want to have coverage of things but like you know i've just like kind of swung a couple of times and been like we're gonna do this as like a dolly master or a steady master and like then cut the thing together and like it's like rifled a few creative directors where they're like why is there no coverage but it's like i don't you know i don't think we need it like i think it worked but obviously yeah that's like you're potentially setting your like i shot an opening to a tv show it was for the um james corden like late late show the youtube thing the youtube thing and so i shot it oh thanks i shot it all each scene and the scenes were like you know anywhere between like five seconds and 15 seconds but I shot them all as steady masters with zero coverage which meant that it had to just work as the way we put it together and but it was a music video but it was right? a music, where it, he's well, singing into camera it was a music video he's singing into camera but we only had those one one shots for each sequence I didn't have any alt coverage so right. oh wait so every single one was a single take yeah Got well it. not a yeah. single take but like a single yeah like a single, single shot shot single yeah. shot okay mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. so if one of those hadn't have worked there's nothing we could have really cut to and so like yeah that was a pretty like nerve-wracking waiting period for that edit to be done of like 
I hope this works. Yeah. And like, you know, it seemed to work pretty well and people but were did happy. Did you edit so anything? Good. Or was it just the shots? They just they just put the shots like right next to each other and it, it worked. So I'm glad it worked. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, you know, like generally speaking, yeah, I, I shot this like pretty rigorously because I'm a big fan of like being over prepared because like filmmaking is chaos. A friend of mine likes to say that filmmaking is against God because you're trying to control the universe and the universe doesn't want that to happen so yeah i try and like i really shot list a lot and like generally speaking what happens is like my first shot at a shot list is way too many shots and usually like a producer in an ad email me back and they're like ha 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 ha, ha please reduce by you know 80 percent, and then that's actually good because then i think about it a little bit more and i'm like oh yeah i don't need the like we don't need the pencil thing looking you know like or maybe these are actually these are the same shot shot, and like is there a more creative way to do this so but i do think and i would also say that like it's very rare too that i'm then on set like holding my shot list and like looking at it it's more that like the process of doing the shot list gets my brain to where like now I under I really understand this material in a way that I don't think I did. Right. And you've discussed I it with the AD and the about, DP already. Yeah. You've yeah. Gu- guided them through how you're going to shoot it. Right. Right. Because the DP is a big conversation too, because sometimes I'm like, yeah, so I think we're going to like, we'll be on the steady and then we'll like whip past this guy and then we'll be like under him. And then like, you know, if you get the sort of like blank look from a DP after right. that, it's like, oh yeah. Or, or, or you know. Maybe just like cross coverage on 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 sticks, <laughs> you know, like which is I mean, and that's like I love on every crew position, but like especially a DP that will like really take your idea and then mm-hmm. elevate it and bring their own. Or also like sometimes I love 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 when a DP is like I'm like okay we're gonna come over here and a DP is like well we've already been over here like three times like what if we go over here yeah you know, like that's invaluable especially when you're like deep in it on set and you're just kind of myopic trying to get things done yeah Yeah. well what about from like an artistic point of view sometimes i'll just watch like game of thrones and like a scene will start on like the hilt of a sword yeah and like like, half the scene will play out on that Uh uh-huh and i'll be like it's so good but like (laughs) how i would never in my shot list be like play the scene out like oh right like do you think of metaphors do you guys i mean it's open to the whole group matt too do you try to think of like where the characters are like how how much of that realistically goes into planning your shots because i i don't know you know it's award season so you and even last night i watched arrival and i was just watching the trailer for la la land and i was thinking about whiplash it's just a guy playing drums like how right. is that like, yeah. shot so nicely and, mm-hmm. and and how do you make it immersive and like you know denny villeneuve whatever his name yeah. is the guy that did arrival and prisoners mm, and, and sicario is like sicario yeah yeah like do you guys how how much of that type of thinking goes into your planning of shots or is it mostly like well we should get a master and some coverage because we have to get all of this scene in like half an hour well i sure. I, I try to find like one or two shots that i'm excited about mm-hmm. right on the schedules that we're working on you know like if you're shooting two sketches in a day three sketches in a day or you know, like one branded spot in a day, like that can be pretty hectic. And like, you do know that you have to get certain things just to cover your ass. So if you can get like a couple things that you're excited about, I feel pretty good about that. Mm -hmm. Like, like I did a spot just a couple weeks ago where like the opening we did in a one on a movie and it was super fun. Right. Like maybe I think we hit a little bit of OT to get it. It was like something I fought for. Yeah. 
and it got cut up, it might as well have just been coverage, right? right? right. But there was also a tabletop shot that I fought for that wasn't standard coverage, where it was kind of like pivoting, like rotating on the tabletop. Like, like that 70s like show. Like that style. 70s show, mm-hmm. yeah. But slow. Like it's, So it's kind of a slow mm-hmm. reveal mm-hmm. that made it into the cut, and is super yeah. good, and yeah. doesn't, it, you know, a tabletop shot. Sure. So it's like, tables are the worst. So right. at least I got one thing. Basically. Yeah. And it's always like, because I, I always think too, like it's it's a, a fine line between like you want to do things that are interesting and cinematic, but you also don't want to like smear your sweaty director's palm right. across things. You know, it's like, like I'm always very aware of like, I mean, when you, when a shot is like beautifully done and cinematic, then like maybe you don't even notice it, you know, until you go back and watch something again and you're like, holy shit, like that was, you know, that was like a one or like that, you know, that's incredible. Like how did they like shift focus like that? Whereas there's also like plenty of things I've seen where it's like very obvious filmmaking, whether it was like conscious or not, which is like, you know, I'm not a a big like modernism guy. Like I liked some of those films, but I always do think about like there's a shot in Contempt, which is a Godard movie, where it's like two characters talking to each other and like we're aggressively dollying back and forth from Mm -hmm. character to character. And so it's a thing that like in most movies would be like super annoying because all you're thinking, all I'm thinking about at that point is like the guy dragging yeah, yeah. the dolly. But like in this instance, like it works really well because it's like two characters that are fighting. And so like the consciousness of that back and forth like really works. So it's like, I guess that's the other challenging thing about like artistic shots is it's like if you're going to do kind of a like all in shot like that you to to your point like yeah you better have really thought about like what does this mean and why are we doing this rather than like i'm gonna you know right and i guess that's kind of around that's kind of like my question like yeah i don't mean like cinematic from a technical point of view like cool steady cam one or like as much as it would have a lot of meaning if this guy's in silhouette you know like sure, yeah because i feel like you do that a lot in film school and then you kind of do that when you start your career and then when you get to like where we are, it's like, I, I don't know. I feel like I don't think about that stuff as much. I just kind of think about, like, how can I get this done and it, how can it look good? Right. And how can I support the performances? But I don't, and, you know, the, I care about the blocking in terms of, like, naturalism, like what feels real, but I right. don't really think about, like, metaphors or right. artistic things. And I, I feel like I, I want to. But I also... And you watch these, like, HBO or, you know, AMC sure. shows and they do it. Well, and it's also, like... I feel like a lot of that stuff too is like maybe people aren't thinking about like meaning and metaphor as much as people are really thinking about like story, which is like, yeah, to like the Game of Thrones point, it's like a lot of that stuff is like, right, what's, what is the absolute best shot to tell this story from? But again, like a lot of it goes down to like, because I always, when I see something like Game of Thrones, I do find myself counting shots sometimes where I'm like, yeah, or like setups. How are the yeah, yeah, setups? Yeah, like, yeah. how are they still cutting setups? Which is like, I do feel like the bigger a thing is, sometimes you do have that luxury of like, I'm going to have 18 setups. And then, like, yeah, maybe we just stay on a knife for a whole dialogue scene. Yeah. And then because you you've got it. three cameras and only two are placed <laughs> right. on this one. So, yeah. yeah, it's like sometimes that is no, but those shots, I feel like those knife shots. Yeah. <laughs> are 
and everything is oh, built okay. around yeah, sure. that. Of course, shot. yeah, and sure. that's yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. not like the other cameras are like, oh, well, let's can you pan left a little bit and make the shot a little crappier so we can right. fit this camera in here. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and that's I guess I don't know. I kind of the whole theme for my year is like I feel like I need to stop compromising and stop just like shooting, <laughs> right, <laughs> and right. start like trying to make art again. You know, like kind of like refine the passion of filmmaking, which is like you know thinking about. Sure. about meaning more or something absolutely I well i i think it kind of you know it's it, like you said it's your overall theme i think what we're dealing with as as three kind of like journeyman you know commercial guys we are hired because we can get the job done right like that's you know what we were joking about before of like oh like i'm a team player i'm really nice like right we're not talking about whether or not like i want a clio right we're talking about like i will deliver for sure right and what we're all kind of trying to struggle for is like, you know, we, we would prefer to be the Wes Andersons who get hired to do the H&M spot because we're Wes Anderson. Right. You know, right. Or even like and, the Daniels or the sure. Finchers who I think his style is less definitive than like a Wes Anderson. Yeah. But, but he does. But he pushes. You're things. hiring the artiste. And that's what's happening with like all those all those premium cable shows they're all hiring indie directors who had like a killer movie at south by sure. and then asking them to do what they did there for their tv show and so i think you're right i think some of it is you know not rolling over but i don't know that necessarily like fighting about like a craft spot is n maybe the place to make your mark right i guess it yeah it depends like i think i think you can always make you can always try and elevate everything right. right but yeah there is like at some point you're going to hit a ceiling of what you i mean like a big lesson for me too has always been like you can never especially in comedy you're never going to be able to direct your way into something being funny if it wasn't yeah. on the page and yeah, that's yeah. like and i've seen this happen like constantly with commercial stuff but it happens in like sketches and stuff too where it's like yeah this script is like didn't really ever make me laugh and it's like yeah but we'll go film it and then it'll be funny which is like no that's it's gonna if anything it's gonna become like more tedious because it's like i can take a b to an a i can't take a d to an a right period exactly yeah. yeah where it's like things and i mean and i guess this holds true for all things too because like i'm always struck by like gigantic blockbuster movies where i'm like everything here is like technically perfect the one thing that's the easiest thing to do is like go spend another two weeks on the draft and then that doesn't happen. And I think the thing is true of like, right. Like, and that's where, so maybe like some of like the compromise thing also comes down to like, you know, what are you choosing to, you know, work on too? Right. Because it's, you know, at some point, yeah, you're never going to be able to take a whatever, something that like, maybe isn't written very well or like isn't that interesting or you're not interested in it and make it amazing you know yeah i will bring up and this was going to be my unpaid endorsement but since it's apropos have you guys ever seen fincher's first commercial spot it's which it's, one is it it's, it's the cult 45 billy d williams spot oh really yeah <laughs> it's so it's it's not it's there's two famous ones it's not the one that's just in a living room yeah it's like him like walking down an alley and he's silhouetted and the cutaway to like this crazy bedroom with like you know a woman like having like crazy images projected on her and like there's all sorts of crazy effects it's unmistakably fincher sure and like really really elevated it won the clio that year and is exactly to your point, Dorn. It's just like 
that I'm sure was like a regular cool stylized piece, but right. like he really right. amped it up. Right, totally. Which is yeah, I feel like it's like you're as you're advancing your career, you're like hopefully trying to get access to things that are gonna be a little bit more interesting and like the creative is better or it's funnier or you know you get to work with someone that you like you know and then like you can continue to elevate things yeah that's so the yeah. hope i'd like to think that as directors we can always i mean we are kind of like in control of everything to some degree that we could take a d and make an a out of it. like you know that wes anderson can do it you know that denny villeneuve can do it. you know that fincher can do it. like do you see wes anderson's h&m spot that he did that's the like all the people on a train. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like the concept is like, hey, all these weird different people on a train are together and then they all come together to because it's Christmas on the train. And sure. it's like about, you know, the the child that's on the train that's right. traveling alone coming together with them. Like that's the concept, right? There's not much more than that. But and they like, hired how do you make it awesome? They hired him to do that spot for sure. There's no there was no like like that's a, right, that, right. Yeah. Like it was a two and a half minute film, really. Yeah, and they probably you know. spent like a million dollars on it. But I guess what I'm saying is like there are directors that go beyond the concept where the concept's like a B minus and they make it into an A. Sure. Yeah. And like, that's what, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Going I don't back know to if my you can do that question, with everything. No, like, yeah, no, you I think can't. there's like certain things that you could do that with, but, but I think the shot list is kind of your first step. It, well, maybe it's your second. Step. The first step is the script. Like you're saying, like yeah. trying to get that right to a place where you're excited about something and yeah. it, well, I think and then the second list is shooting it in a way that's not the same way that everything else. Is yeah. Well, even I would say like even before that, like the second one is is people like the second one is like who you bring oh, on to it. Oh, well, yeah. casting, but like crew, your DP, crew, art director, yeah. like that's your next step in making something like because like you talk about like the Daniels is like on um, Swiss Army Man, like, you know, they had a ton of people that like work with them on commercials that are like super creative talented people who worked for dirt cheap like living up in the woods on that movie and like that's a lot of the reason like obviously it's like their creative vision but it's like that's the reason a lot of like the visual stuff is so amazing in that yeah. movie is because it like, all comes down people. from the director like have you ever worked on anything either one of you where you were like, didn't care about it that much. And then the DP came in and was like, hey, I really, let's fucking do a dolly shot. Yeah. Let's all fight for it. I'll get the lights. And you're like, it, the only time that ever happens is if they think of a really cool shot for their reel, right? Sure. It's never, yeah, sure, sure. never have a wardrobe person where you're like, all we need is like them, like kind of old Navy Christmas clothes. And they're right. like, what about sci fi? Yeah. Like, no, you know. sure. I mean, but I'd like the opposite is, is like the inverse is worse where it's like, it's definitely possible for the quality of something to suffer because. Right, they don't care. Have about a, they it. don't care, or they're just not quite experienced enough. You know, where like if you don't have a great TP, if you don't have like a good art person, like you know, even I mean, like sometimes you see this on screen, sometimes you don't. But like, especially if the producers don't know what they're doing, like whether you oh, see it or not on screen, you'll know it because your life will be a nightmare. Yeah, you know, like that's. It, it almost never happens anymore. But on the rare occasion that I'm on something that's like not a well-run ship, it's just like I don't, I cannot yeah. deal with that anymore. You're cranky and you're like, why Why is why this are, harder than normal? Yeah, you know, like, why like, is this harder? Like yeah. why is the craft service like nothing but raisins? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or you've I've been on in many situations where the set is run perfectly. The craft service is amazing, but mm-hmm. the producer 
only cares about making the client happy. Sure, oh, doesn't of care about absolutely the yeah. commercial and all, like the yeah. creative part mm-hmm. of it. All. No, that's definitely that's definitely a problem. And like, I see that less on set, more and more in post, yeah. where yeah. people don't fight for things right they're like you fought you got your steady cam shot now let's give the client something yeah yeah but it's not gonna work right out us finishing it yeah like yeah the post is a sometimes things can go to shit in post yeah well let me ask matt because we've talked a lot about like one way that you can take control Mm -hmm. but there's another very obvious way which is just to have a knife (laughs) (laughs) to have a knife on set or to be the boss right you you founded your own company right right so tell us a little bit about how you made that transition into running daughters and sons? Yeah, daughter and sons. Daughter and daughter sons. Daughter and sons. So yeah, so like my trajectory was like I was in a sketch group called Invisible Engine for a long time, which is where I sort of like cut my teeth and like learned to make things. And then I was like in house at Disney for quite a while and then wanted to go out and do my own thing. So then a guy who I went to college with. Adam Curland, we both went to SC together. He had been in New York for a number of years, like directing documentaries and commercials and then music videos. And then we got put back in touch. This is like 2010-ish. And we started just collaborating a little bit here and there. And then that kind of like picked up momentum basically. And like, so the early roots of the company were born out of that collaboration where it's like all right well if we're going to be like pitching stuff and making stuff like we need an s-corp so like you know we have some infrastructure around it and then that just kind of like grew and gained momentum until daughter and sons became like a full-fledged production company where we are using it to like make our own stuff but then we're also using it you know like we represent a handful of directors that we're trying to get work for including previous guest charles hood Charles Hood, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, Charles is on our our list. Scott Gardner, you guys sure, know Scott, yeah, full on genius. Scott Gardner. full on genius, crazy genius. Scott Gardner. How does how do you guys? If let's say one of our listeners was interested in being with the company like mm-hmm. yours, what do you guys so, yeah, look so for just, in a director? You write me a check for five thousand dollars, and <laughs> then we slowly that uh, that sits in an account for a while. Um, you know, I would say it's, you know, and the way we handle our director relationships too, because like, I don't know if you guys are or have been like represented by like commercial production companies is like to Adam and I, that model always seemed a little bit crazy because we both had had experience with this. So like none of our directors are exclusive. Mm-hmm. Like the way we work it is that like we try and get them work, but if they are getting work through other avenues, like great, that's great for everyone. Like the concept of like being a commercial director who is exclusive to a company seems somewhat crazy to me because unless you're making, you know, $2 million Coke commercials, like you can't make a living that way. So that's part of it. But then, yeah, as far as like what we're looking for, it's like, you know, people who are at a certain point in their career where they have, you know, a decent amount of like interesting spots under their belt they don't necessarily need to be huge spots and they don't need to have a ton but it's people with like an interesting either visual or tonal style do they need to have 30 second spots not for us yeah i mean like i think that a lot of commercial representatives would say like yes absolutely like there's so much work in the like branded content world now that like yeah, thirty the thirty second spot thing, like you know, I'm I've never been like a big fan of the like 
go out and spend a ton of money making like a 30 second spec thing did you did you guys do that i did a tiny bit of spec work but yeah. i never spent a enough money for it to be yeah good <laughs> you know yeah. so so yeah. i just i wasted like a couple thousand dollars over sure. the course of a year sure i yeah. did do super low budget spec stuff i mean that's right. how i learned but how you to make weren't videos you, you didn't like take out a fifty thousand dollar loan and go direct a right. fake beer commercial no but yeah i'm probably gonna do that soon <laughs> are you yeah not fifty thousand yeah. dollars but probably like five thousand dollars okay I mean, I'm going to pull all the. It's easier now because I sure, can have, ask the DP right, that owns favors. the dragon to yeah. come work for free or whatever. Right, yeah. But yeah, I think there's, you know, there's two parts to like directing. There's like getting people to hire, pay you to direct. Sure. And then there's directing stuff that you want to make. Yeah. And like to get those two things to like fall in line with each other isn't always that easy. So to for nudge sure. yourself to say like, hey, I want to direct. David you have like Fincher type things. You have to show them David Fincher you type do. things. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have a specific tone, like, yeah, yeah that I want to convey, and the work I'm getting is a little bit off from that, right? Or sometimes doesn't get to where I feel like it For should sure. get to because yeah. it's just whatever the client wants. So, yeah. so I think the best way to do it is doing spec stuff, and whether it's a commercial or a short film, sure. Um, I, yeah. I think it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But a, com- a 30 second video is much easier to get people to watch. That's true. I mean, especially like, the, like sales produce. reps and, and produce, agents, Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, that is, I mean, I think this is just true in general of like, especially if you're going to make a short film, you know, like if you're going to make like an 18 minute short film, like it better really sustain 18 minutes. You know, I think like that's, that's like a lesson for, I, I feel like that's just a filmmaking lesson in general of like, I see a lot of, people make shorts that are like very long and it's again i I feel like it goes back to like the script writing phase where it's like did you really need 18 minutes to tell the story or like could you have told the story in like six minutes you know like which is like you know (laughs) in film school i made a like a short film that was like probably about five times too long you know and like a lot of people hated it and but i feel like it's like yeah that's that's a thing too of like I feel like a lot of times with like shorts and maybe with like commercial specs too, is it's like really take the time to bake the thing before you go shoot it. I think that like a lot of times people get really, they get that like anxious itch of like, I need to make the thing. I need to make the thing. And you're like gathering your friends and calling in all your favors and stuff. And then you go and you make the thing. But like maybe if you had spent another month, like, getting some people you trust to like read the script and stuff. And like, then it could have been like so much better, which is like, I mean, I feel like the opposite side of that coin is the thing you guys are talking about is the like super low budget, like weird sketches and stuff. Like by all means, like go like, just go do that. Go do that on a weekend because like, I feel like that's how myself and like so many people I know that's how we got started. Virtually everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, yeah, we just started making a weird thing and then, a, we learned how to make a thing by making the weird thing, and then maybe someone saw the weird thing. And like, because right. I'm always like, a lot of times it's like some of the weirder, smaller things that I've done that people have seen and been like, "Ooh, I really like that." And it's like, really, the thing that I like, you know? Yeah, because you weren't spent sixty bucks on. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or the, it wasn't hampered by yeah, all of the yeah, other. I things, mean, committee know. stuff. Yeah. yeah. The spec I want to do is I want it's like a budget and scope of an 18 minute short film, but a 30 second spot. Sure. Like I want because 
to me, if you like go in thinking like I want to make a 30 second spot, it's like one location, two actors. It's like right. so some, but I right. want to do big scope things. And sure. that's my problem. Like I keep getting hired to do these like, right. These people, five funny people on a white psych. Like sure. who yeah. cares about yeah. that stuff? But it's going to be so like, I want to do like one on shot in a restaurant, yeah. one shot in an ambulance, right. one shot in a hospital, one shot in a, at a funeral. Like all yeah. these things, like I want to shoot this 30 second spot over like five days. Right. You know, and yeah. make it. So when you see it, it's like, it feels like, you know, a Lance Accord Apple iPhone commercial or right. something sure, big yeah, where yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah. damn, this is like really, and make each location feel real. Like right. 50 extras at the funeral. Like, and you know, obviously like favors and VFX and whatever it takes, but that's like to me what I, I want to go for. Cause I, you don't want to pull any punches. Yeah, yeah and I keep right. seeing... I just keep getting asked for thirty more thirty second things because yeah. I have a lot of these decent two and a half minute videos and right. people like sales agents and agencies and everything. I'm just the, I'm going up against the guys that have you know these massive scope commercials right. that are sure, thirty yeah. seconds long. Right, totally, yeah. So that's the thing that I'm chasing right now, and and you know everyone has their thing. Like for sure, yeah. You don't need to spend a lot of money or have a lot of locations to make a good commercial, but that's the type of commercial. I want to make. make right yeah and the type of movies you want to make too yeah you know, 30 that, second movies well, 30 second have movies. a funeral yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no i'm trying to tie i'm trying to find some sort of through line in my career and it's yeah, not gonna be hard, movies yeah. or tv or commercials it's hopefully i can Funerals. yeah hopefully like you said about fincher i can make something and people will be like oh that looks like yeah, something oren would have made right and I yeah made totally <laughs> absolutely so anyhow we'll uh, see what happens yeah that was a long tangent i feel like from what you asked me which was oh yeah just the, about the company the yeah. company yeah so yeah so we the company then like became a production company that we used to sort of like develop and produce any number of projects from you know commercial branded stuff that we do documentaries that we're doing like we help develop other people's projects like directors that we believe in and stuff and then we also like are developing our own shows that we're pitching out and that type of thing so you know, it just sort of becomes this like umbrella for a lot of things. That's it's, you know, nice because we have a certain amount of like infrastructure and resources mm -hmm. that then and now we have a stage as well. So we have a place to physically shoot things at. So it just gives us a nice, like well-rounded approach to what we're trying to do which if you need a great deal on a stage in la check out sibling siblingla.com la.com it's matt's stage and i just shot there and it's really cool we should probably wrap things up but yeah, can do. i just ask one final question please i'm putting you on the spot a little bit so don't don't be pressured to have a good answer Ooh. but if you had to tell matt wyatt in 2004 the day Ooh. he like graduated from film school mm -hmm. one piece of advice on how to go make a career as a director with what you know today, what would you Ooh. tell him? It, it like it, is this like a sliding doors scenario to like to change the way my life went, or just like just um, in the abstract sort of it's like? It's like I, I guess the the goal like if is you for had our a listeners. huge fuck up, yes, a sliding doors situation <laughs> would no, not have for, would for not have driven our, that car into <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, for our listeners that are just moving to LA or about yeah, to move to LA and are yeah, trying yeah. to make a living as directors, the thing that was the most helpful in finding or like some yeah, chain, I mean, like maybe you used to think you know agents all you need is an agent and that'll be the end of right, it, right. and you realize that it's agents. Yeah, I mean there. it's it's a you know it's a massive cliche. I feel like, but it is it is the like just do things don't just you know, 
shoot it just shoot it you know the like i always hear the like don't ask for permission thing but it's like i feel like it's like yeah like go make things but also like make things in a considered way i think is like because i i often hear people that are like just go make things and like i do think like that pendulum can swing a little bit far the other way where it's like yes like you're gonna learn from making things but like i don't know that that necessarily means like just run around on a field with a camera for 48 hours. You know, I think it's like, go do the things, take like big calculated risks. Like every time I've took a big sort of like leap that I considered, but it was a big leap, you know, like I left my first job out of college was like, I was an assistant at CAA. It was like fucking miserable. It was like working in the death star. When I left there to go like shoot a micro budget feature with some buddies, like that was a massive step forward. When I like, you know, left to go start my own company with Adam, like that was, you know, it's like these like sort of calculated risks in the same. And I think the same thing holds true, like creatively, where it's like if you like want to go make a short film, like go make a short film. But like maybe spend a few weeks like really thinking about like what it is that you want to go make. So that, you know, you are making the most sort of like considered version of that, you know, but I, th- I think like, and this is true for like anything in life, but yeah, it's always like the action of doing something is so amazing because it's the opposite of thinking about shit, you know, and I find myself like worrying about stuff a lot. And whenever I'm like doing something, I'm probably not worrying about things, you know, and like. Yeah, there's no substitute for that. Filmmaking so is like, just a way to just shove all of those negative all, feelings, all, all of the like, bottle them up, self-deprecation, let and it anxiety, you. and yeah. let it slowly like drown you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Perfect. exactly. Yeah, we are on the same page. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like most people in this city are. <laughs> oh, awesome, Matt! Thanks for the answer. Yeah, um, we are going to go into our final segment of the show: unpaid endorsements. Okay, cool. So my endorsement is, and I don't think I've endorsed this before, Matt, Captain Disillusion. Do you know who he is? Mm-mm. On YouTube. It's like one of my new favorite YouTube channels. It's a guy that just debunks like viral videos. Like, Ooh, oh, girl this. gets struck by lightning or whatever. It. And then he shows you all the little camera glitches and he shows you the stock footage that they used, like the nice. website where they oh, bought it. That's great. But he's also really funny and weird. He's like, Russian or something. He's, I don't know, some Eastern Europe type of person. He has like a weird accent and has like a lot of dumb puns, which I always really like. But he produces his videos really well. And he did this speech in England at QED 2016. I don't know what that is, but it's called Heroic Feats of YouTube Debunkery. And it's this like hour long speech he gave on how he makes his debunking videos and like how like he became a better filmmaker through doing this and he covers like everything like how to light things and how to record things in order Mm. to put the microphone but also about his career and how to do well on youtube and why he does what he does i don't know it's just like i could just watch this guy all day captain disillusion he's on youtube check out his stuff it's super addicting sweet man that sounds great matt you got one is it to me yeah Yeah, i'm just gonna i'm gonna pitch the movie airplane like the 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 original uh parody film i watched it a couple of weeks ago i think it's on amazon prime right that's probably why i watched it yeah Yeah. and i gotta say like it holds up extraordinarily well so good and as a like 
exercise in filmmaking and like watching filmmakers like it's a very filmic movie there's like technical things in there yeah, yeah. that even now i'm like i'm not totally sure how they did that especially in like 1979 or whatever it was yeah. like it's very funny and it's also like shot in a way where you're like again like to like elevating things like it isn't just like stick a camera up and let people be funny it's like they really use the tools and tropes and conceits of filmmaking to tell jokes and it's right. it's like that Edgar Wright like all that yeah, stuff Edgar exactly. Wright gets credit for like they were doing yeah like yeah. there's there's like a, a couple of gags with like visual things with like mirrors and stuff where I'm like I'm not totally sure how they did that that's awesome yeah cool man that's a great call yeah so uh we'll double check I'm pretty sure it's still on Amazon Prime so you can probably watch it if you subscribe I'm sure you can watch it on YouTube Airplane oh, uh, movie. Yeah, if you want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, or Amazon. Or like a, you know, a VHS copy. Sure. Buy a VCR. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I've, uh, in addition to that Cult 45 spot, I am kind of hooked on the podcast High and Mighty, which is hosted by John Gabris. And he always has a guest on. It's always super funny. He's just, in general, like one of the funniest people. But at the top of each episode, he invites his listeners to roast him and then give him five stars on iTunes <laughs> and he'll read the roasts on air. It's like oh, a nice. way like a way of self-promoting a little bit. But it's so funny because it's this weird mixture of him loving like the attention <laughs> and also genuinely getting his feelings hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like this weird combination. Like people do not hold back. Yeah. And like oh they'll kind of always end it with like love the show five stars or whatever. Right. But there's something incredible about listening to a very funny, very confident person, like enjoying being insulted. I feel like that's just like a metaphor for becoming a performer because <laughs> yeah, that's totally. that's what it is. It's just let people say horrible things about you yeah. all day long. <laughs> and what's the show about? It's just Gabriel's talking about like what, whatever. So he'll have a guest on who's an expert on some sort of topic. So like he's got like relatively varied interests. So it can be super nerdy or it can be super jockey, but like, you know, a lot of comedy stuff. So cool. his guests are always really funny. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks Matt. for having me, guys. Yeah, this is super fun. I ran into Matt at Costco at yesterday, Costco. and I was like, "Matt, will you be on our podcast?" And he's like, "Uh, yeah, sure." So what happens in LA? You're just like at a Costco, and you like find five yourself doing a M&M. podcast. Yeah. The Costco on Sunset, right, guys? No, less funny. There's not. A Costco I was gonna say, Sunset. what is the yeah. secret Costco? It's a speakeasy Costco. <laughs> like you have to know the guy, and like there's yeah. not. It's a little door, but then you go in and you get a you membership. Know, Costco, another free unpaid endorsement you look up like the history behind how they designed costco it's like brilliant and super fascinating really yeah uh, how you become a member you have to p- buy entrance into this club yes and once you've paid that money you feel like oh i, m- I, I better to buy somebody to get my yeah the work. first time i got my membership i was like i need to buy toilet paper now <laughs> yeah. like yeah and how they work their stocking things how they don't have bags they give you boxes and right. how they minimize the types of items they have so that they can move everything by forklift like thousands of items mm, at a time right and uh, it's all they make no money off of the goods right it's all they make all their money off of the membership oh is this that is my yeah, understanding of it. I is don't that know like about the, that. at least like the margins on the goods are very, smaller. very small, yeah. and they're making most of their money off of the memberships, wow. which is why like they can keep costs down. But it's also because, I mean, it's also like probably a sad lesson in American waste because it's like, yeah, like I bought 
a thing of cream cheese that was like the size of my head and it's like <laughs> no one is eating all of this cream cheese but yeah it was cheap yeah they do i do know they design the shopping experience to take you a long time and they would rather have you come to costco once a month and spend five hundred dollars right. than five times a month and spend a hundred dollars because of parking <laughs> like they try to design it to be an outing as opposed to a stop by which it um, definitely is. No, it's not yeah. a like, just got to run into Costco and yeah. just swing grab by. a croissant. I need a yeah. bucket of cream cheese. Yeah. <laughs> My dad bought like 24 croissants yesterday because they were only six bucks. They were pretty good. I hey, mean, that's a good deal. You got to get your money's worth on yeah, that membership. Yeah, like 30 cents a croissant or something. Yeah. Like, I'm just yeah, impressed you guys have garages. Like I can't go to Costco because like. Oh, no, I don't. I don't have a even garage. Keep. I just keep, you know. You just have a stack of toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. I just, just have a house eight, built four of toilet paper. Of cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So how can we find out more about you, Matt? Do you tweet? Do you have a website? Uh, I am on the Twitter. I've been trying to stay off of the Twitter after the election, but my Twitter is Matt Wyatt says hi. I'm still on Tumblr, which is a place that people hang out. I'm attention yeah. doozers on Tumblr. And then uh, my production company is daughterandsons.com. And the stage is siblingla.com. We're on all the various appropriate all social medias. Yeah. Cool. And you can find us at justshootitpod.com. You can find out all about the show. Check out the show notes and our unpaid endorsements there. And you can follow us on Twitter at justshootitpod. Uh, you can follow me at Mr. Badenlo. And you can follow me at Smitey Pileg. And feel free to write us, justshootitpod at gmail.com. We would love to hear your feedback and questions and comments it always makes us happy and if you can rate us on itunes that's awesome as well really helps people find the show yes this episode was edited by eric Cripo. you can find him at flashpoint.io where he works as an editor and sound designer for film trailers so thanks, check eric. out his site thanks eric music was provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar thanks guys thanks thanks